You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Amen. Turn your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And what a great segue to talk about free gifts. We're talking about gifts today, uh, spiritual gifts. Uh, and so Ephesians chapter 4, we'll, we'll, just for context, begin reading in verses 1, and we'll read down to verses 10, but we're going to be looking at verse, just verses 7 to 10 today. Probably verses you've read before, maybe read over or read through, kind of just uh, quickly read through, but today we want to slow down and, and really understand what it means for Jesus to give gifts to his church, to his, to his bride. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, under influence of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling that you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one Spirit, or sorry, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who was above all and through all and in all. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. But what does, it, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who's ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. So this morning, we're, again, we're looking at what does it mean to be a church that's united? West Wind United Part 2. Next week, we'll actually look at West Wind United Part 3. We'll look at verses 11 to 16. But we want to notice the transition that happens between verses 6 and 7. He says, One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all, and in awe. And then he just abruptly goes, now grace was given. You might have a but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so the contrast between verses 6 and 7 then is striking. Verse 6 speaks to uh, God, the Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. And yet, verse 7 begins, now grace, or but grace, was given to each of us. Paul turns from all of us collectively to each of us. He turns from the unity that we have to the diversity that we have. Now, over the past month of June, uh, my family and I went to several different baseball games. We went and saw an Iowa Cubs game on a Friday night, got to see the fireworks afterwards. And then uh, um, some of my family, we went and saw the College World Series. And at each of the, the baseball games, there's always like, you know, baseball is trying to, to increase uh, their, their, how many people watch and how many people attend. And so in between the innings, there's always something fun going on, either a race or a game or something. But inevitably, there's always a point where T-shirts are given away, right? So they'll bring out either a T-shirt cannon or, or some sort of gun, and they start shooting them out. And of course, at the College World Series, we were the highest seats that you possibly could get. And, I, you know, inevitably, the boys were like, we want those shirts. They only know what's on the shirt, right? All they can see is a ball... <laughs> of white. They don't even know what's on there, right? But they want it, right? Because they're giving away, it's free, right? And that's, 
Uh, that's how maybe most of the stadium feels. And, and of course, I'm like, the, the shirts aren't going to come this high up. Like, we're, we're that high. They're not going to come this high up. But they still want them. Why? Because when you're around a lot of people and people are giving around free things, you want them, right? We, we all like to get free gifts or whatever. But most of the times it's either not you know, rationed out proportionally or fairly, or it's not worth it, right? So I'm always trying to convince, convince my kids that's not a T-shirt that will fit you nor that you will wear, nor that is worth wearing. Don't be so excited, right? And so, well, better than a t-shirt gun and better than an experience like that, when, when a person believes in Jesus, when they receive the gospel as the good news of Jesus, that he has died for our sins, that he was risen on the third day, that he's ascended to his father, when you receive that, the Bible says that each and every one of us receives a spiritual gift immediately when we believe. And sometimes it's multiple gifts. You never really know fully how, how much gifts you have, though, unless you just live your life fully in the life of the local church and then can see how these gifts are expressing themselves through the works that you do. So that's really important for us to understand this morning, that we are united by the gospel, but then we also have this incredible diversity that comes through each of us having different and gifts. And Paul's going to make it sure look, we, every gift is needed for a church to flourish. Every gift is needed for the kingdom of God to advance. And so the church is just this place of diversity and unity at the same time. We're unified through the gospel, and then we're diversified through our giftings and how we can minister to one another. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to use our, our, our gifts for others, right? So immediately, we're told to not be selfish and self-centered as new believers in Jesus. Because we've been given gifts for others to build up the body and to do that in love. But unity does not always mean sameness. Again, sometimes when we think of unity, we think of sameness. In fact, for a while, there was this trend in like fashion where like um, homes would be like all one color, right? It's so like you'd walk into a home and everything would be white. Apparently those people did not have kids, right? No one with kids would ever have a white home. Uh, or you would have an all-black kitchen. Or, and again, unity does not mean conformity. It does not mean sameness. In fact, our diverse roles and abilities are meant to bless each other and to enrich our lives as we again seek to advance the kingdom of God. And so when I talk about diversity this morning, I'm not talking about it in an ethnically speaking way or, or in an economically speaking way or even in an age. I'm just talking about in giftings. We are diverse in our giftings. And so what I want us to see is three quick points about spiritual gifts this morning. One is from verse 7, Christ gives gifts to every believer. Christ gives gifts to every believer believer. Again, he says in verse 7, now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So Paul is wanting to qualify what he has just written about as far as our church unity. Again, we have the same father. We have the same faith. We have the same calling, right? We are unified in the gospel. But Paul is wanting to qualify that although there is one body, again, it's not uniformity. The unity of the church is due to God's grace reconciling us to himself. So what that should then really inform us to is we should delight that we have people within the church that we agree on the gospel, but then we disagree on other things. 
that actually is a sign of health. That's a sign of great strength. If all we have is echo chambers, then we're not really building the kingdom of God. Right? It's really easy to build an echo chamber, right? People who speak like me, sound like me, think like me, look like me. It's, it's much harder to advance the kingdom of God. And when you read about the kingdom of God and you read about heaven, what, how does it describe it? The Revelation describes that the nations are surrounding the throne of God and every tribe and every tongue is there. Meaning the diversity that we have in our world is something that is not done away with by the gospel. It's something that's affirmed and redeemed by the gospel. So where our sin has created division, again, the gospel unites us. We've talked about that through the book of Ephesians. And so Paul is qualifying what he's just written about the church's unity. And again, this is not, this is not saving grace that he talks about when he says, but grace was given to each of them. This is the grace of God giving a gift. And it's funny, those words, grace and gift, are really similar words. In fact, the word grace is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, and the word for gifts is charisma, C-H-R-I-S-M-A. And just adding that M-A, that suffix on there, indicates a result of an action, right? You have gifts because someone has done something and paid a great price to give you those gifts. So as Ms. Caitlin said, that we, we all love free gifts, right? Well, as you grow up, you learn there is no free gift, right? Every gift, there, there's some payment that comes from it. We have been given gifts that come at a great cost, and we'll look at that next. But, but grace is given. And again, this matches what is said in, second to, or sorry, in Ephesians chapter 2. This is what Paul says when he says this. He says, for by grace you are saved. You are saved by grace through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared ahead of time for us to do. How are we to do these good works? Through our spiritual gifts that God has given us. And so in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul reminded us of his gift. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, Paul mentions the grace given to him to preach to the Gentiles. He said, I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. Grace is given to every member, every member, every believer has a spiritual gift. Now, if we want to define what spiritual gifts are, spiritual gifts are differing abilities given by the Holy Spirit to each believer to meet needs in such a way that it creates a gospel community where people are growing into the fullness and character of Jesus Christ. Spiritual gifts are differing abilities given by the grace of the Holy Spirit to each believer to meet the needs in such a way that it creates a gospel community of people who are growing in the fullness and character of Jesus. That's why we're to use our gifts, not for ourselves, but for each other. That's why sometimes you'll hear of, of ministers or, or people of faith who they have these amazing ministries, it appears like. Like just thousands go to their churches or, or thousands of people you know, flock to them whenever they speak. And then you hear about their moral failings. Why does that happen? Because you can use your gift and it not transform your heart. 
right? You can use your gift and it actually not produce fruit in your life. That's not what Paul wants, though. Paul wants you to use your gifts to produce fruit in your life, to transform you into the image of Jesus and for the church to grow because of it. So when we think about this fact that every single believer has been given a spiritual gift, then not one Christian should entertain the feelings that I am inadequate. Not one believer should feel that you are inadequate to serve the Lord. Jesus has given you a gift through the Holy Spirit to serve, not only him, but to serve his people. And so then it's an act of pride or unbelief to feel that you are inadequate in your gifting. So this morning you need to know Jesus has given you a gift. He has given you the right gift for you to use for his glory. And so every single Christian has something then that they must then exercise in using their gifts to the church. And the church then is weakened if believers fail to use their gift to edify and to build up the local church. So we shouldn't feel inadequate, but we also shouldn't feel superior. We shouldn't feel superiority because we have certain gifts and other people don't have them, right? If if everyone on the football team was Tom Brady, that football team would be terrible. Even though Tom Brady is the greatest NFL quarterback of all time, that's fact, by the way, <laughs> even though I'm not a fan, it's just fact. If you had 11 Tom Brady's line up to go down against the defense, they, would never, they wouldn't get a first down. Why? Because it, it, you don't just need a team of quarterbacks in order to advance the football. You have to have linemen and skilled position men. You have to have a coach who comes up with all kinds. You need the whole team in order to score a touchdown. Right? So we shouldn't feel superior, even if we are gifted like Tom Brady was. We shouldn't look down on others because they don't have the giftings that we do. And so when I feel inferior or superior, when I look at someone else, if I'm projecting myself onto that other person, it's just wrong. I shouldn't do that. But I should know what my spiritual gift is. While no member of the body is inferior, there is no one in the body that also has all the gifts. No one does. No one person has all of the gifts. While one person may produce all of the spiritual fruit, that the Bible describes in Galatians chapter 5, no one Christian can produce all of the spiritual gifts. Therefore, we need each other. That's why Paul says the church is a what? It is a body. It doesn't matter how great or how strong my legs are if my, if my arms are, are puny and weak. It doesn't matter how great my head is if I don't have an arm, hand, and leg, and all those other, like, right, I won't be able to function how I was created to function. We need each other. And so there's no individual member who's sufficient enough to see the needs of this broken world, nor is there anyone gifted enough that he doesn't need the gifts of others for their own edification. We need each other literally to grow and to mature in our faith, which is what Paul is just exhorting us to do. Now, the, the writer to Hebrews, he just says it more clearly. He just says, grow up. Stop drinking milk. Eat meat. Grow up. That's what Paul is doing here, but just in a gentler way. He's saying, listen, we have to grow into the fullness of Christ. We have to mature in our faith, as we'll look at next week. And so since it is Jesus who is giving us the gifts, 
It's really just childlike behavior to be envious of others who have the gifts. No one has their gift on their own authority or power. Now, yes, you have some natural talents and abilities that happens, right? We have friends who uh, both of them can sing. We know that their children are going to be able to sing probably better than any of my kids will be able to sing, right? That's just natural talents, right? But spiritual gifts aren't anything to boast about because it's nothing in and of yourself that you have earned or achieved. It's only from the gift that comes from Jesus. So how many people, how many believers just live in misery and jealousy because God's not given them what someone else has received? That's not the way to flourish as a believer. And so when we think about spiritual gifts, you might be thinking, okay, pastor, how do I figure out my spiritual gifts? Well, the old like 80s and 90s and early 2000s ways was, hey, you go online and take this test. The problem is it doesn't work, right? Because when you take the test, typically you see yourself in the best light, right? So when I was first taking those spiritual gift uh, tests, evangelism always came out really high. Well, what was I doing? Well, I just graduated from high school and went overseas and I literally was preaching the gospel every single day, either at film showings or in the jails or at schools. That's literally what I did. That was my job. That's not my spiritual gift. But I was seeing myself in the best light. So I just, you know, it kept coming up as, as that. And then I got married and guess what I learned? That's not my gift. And then I got more plugged in in church and guess what I learned? That wasn't my gift, right? Other gifts, though, begin to emerge. And not only did I see them, they were affirmed in the people who knew me best and in the church that I was a part of. And without that affirmation, I, I wouldn't be here, right? Because that's the role of the church is to, as we do ministry, as we uh, um, minister in life together and just encourage one another, our gifts naturally start to come out. And so I would say, if you don't know what your gift is, one, ask yourself, what energizes me to do, to do this, Right? Some of you, it energizes you to talk to people and to encourage people. Others of you, you can talk to one person and then you're done, right? <laughs> That's just how some people are, right? Some of you, you're energized when, when the mention of a need to give comes up, right? You're like, oh, me, I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll meet that need, right? Whatever it is. Others of you, when we say we have a need, you're like, oh, they don't ask me, right? You, I mean, like, whatever energizes you is what your spiritual gift is. Now, teaching is what energizes me. I could literally teach for eight hours. If you, if you would let me, and if you never got hungry, uh, and if you didn't have anything else going on in your day, and you're like, hey, pastor, we, we just need eight hours. We need it from you. Guess what? God has equipped me, and it energizes me to do it. So when I go overseas, and like some uh, international pastors are like, hey, will you train us? Can we do a whole, you know, basically 13-week course in five days? I'm like, sure, absolutely. Let's go, right? I'm gifted to do that. Other people, you ask them to teach for more than an hour. They can't do it, right? It would literally drain them. Even though the Bible calls all of us to teach, it calls all of us to give, it calls all of us to evangelize, we're all called to do that. But some of us are gifted at doing that, and that's why we need each other. We need each other's gifts to be working together. And so how do you discern your gifts? Again, what energizes you? You need to be asking that, and then you, you just need to read the Scripture, right, and see what the Bible says about gifts. So you can read Romans chapter 12. 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians 4. I'll say those again. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians 4, and then 1 Peter 4. And those chapters speak of some of the gifts. There's not even an exhaustive list 
that it's given in the scriptures because it's probably unending how Jesus has equipped people to serve in the local church. But no, if you are here, it's because God wants you to be here, and that means he has gifted you with the right gifts to serve the body at this time right now. So, what energizes you? What, what does the Bible say about spiritual gifts? And then two, again, you, just, you have to set your schedule around body life. Your spiritual gifts won't come out if you're never at church. They just, they won't. Your spiritual gifts won't come out if you're not around other believers and encouraging believers. You have to immerse yourself into the life of the local church. And as you do, you will gravitate to your gifts. You will immerse yourself in the body and just your gifts will come out and then you'll be able to seek the counsel of gifts. So this is where like, if someone was like, hey pastor, I think I have the gift of singing and they were to get up here and then something comes out that's not pleasant. You know, we can be like Simon Cowell, right? On American Idol. I'm just be like, it's not for you, right? It's just not for you, right? And we're able to affirm them, not, not because we're trying to crush their dreams, but just we're able to affirm, this sounds good, this does not sound good, right? And so sometimes we have these, these aspirations that, hey, maybe I'm really good at this, and then we try it out, and guess what? We're not. That's okay. That's why we need the body to affirm and to evaluate our giftings. And so we set our schedule around body life. Again, just if I could emphasize again, spiritual gifts are the, they're for others. You've been given gifts for others, not for yourself. You can use your gifting selfishly, but if you do that, you're not producing spiritual fruit. And spiritual fruit is the ultimate goal, right? Spiritual fruit has to be the goal of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are the means of being formed into the image of Christ, but spiritual fruit is the goal, right? We want to be people who are producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. We want to be producing those things by using our spiritual gifts to encourage and to edify one another. So again, Galatians chapter 5 is where you get the list of spiritual fruit. And every Christian should have all of the fruits because this represents your character as growing in Christ. It represents who you are. But no Christian has all the spiritual gifts because, again, Gifts equal doing, fruit equals being. And so we want you to be fruitful. We want to use your gifts. And so if we try to use our spiritual gifts in place of spiritual fruit, if we try to cover up what's really going on between us and God, then it's, it, it can be costly. It can be detrimental, which is why, again, you have pastor after pastor who will fail morally or just in different ways. Why? Because they're using their gifts, but they had no spiritual fruit inside of them. When we rightly use our spiritual gifts, we know because the, the kingdom of God is advanced and the body is built up. Again, this is why Paul says in, in Romans chapter 12, and then Peter says in 1 Peter 4, they both command us, when they, when they talk about spiritual gifts, they, they command us, they say, use them, Right? So we know that Jesus gave a, a story about the, the gifts of talents, right? And in Matthew, I believe it's Matthew chapter 12, he gives the story of the talents, and he says five talents was given to one, three talents was given to another, one talent was given to another. The guy who has one talent, what does he do? He goes and he buries it. Why? Because he's afraid that he'll lose it. But the guys who have five talents and three talents, they go and they, they invest and they, they, they bring back more talents, Right? And what, is, what happens to the person who doesn't use their talent or, or even invest it? 
it's taken away. Right? So we have the warnings from Scripture. We have the commands. Use our gifts. Why are we to be people who give and use our gifts? Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus gives gifts. He gave his life. He is the example. He is the model for us. He gave his life to save us, and he gives grace to us by giving gifts for his glory. And so having just said now that we receive gifts from Jesus in verse 7, Paul wants to elaborate on the fact that these gifts are costly that Jesus gives us. And so look at verses 8 and 9. That's point number two, by the way. The gifts that Jesus gives us are costly. Verses 8 and 9, he says, For it says, when he ascended on high, he took captives, captive. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? Now, Paul is quoting from Psalm 68, which we'll get at in a second. But just in general, in the ancient Near East, whenever there was warfare, wherever there was battles, whoever won the battle, the king who won the battle, would go and plunder his enemy. And we, we see this in the Old Testament with the story of the Exodus, right? Not only does God defeat Pharaoh through the plagues, but as Israel is leaving after the Passover, what, what happens? The Egyptians begin to throw them all their, all their belongings, all their gold, all their silver, all of their precious metals and linens and clothes. Literally, Israel, was, they were slaves living in slavery, and then they're, literally, they, they collect the bounty of the Egyptians and then they go off to Mount Sinai, right? That's the picture of what Psalm 68 is celebrating, the fact that God is a divine king. He is a divine warrior. He has overcome and defeated the enemy. And because he has defeated the enemy, he can give us, rightly give us, gifts. Not only can he give us gifts, we are the gifts. Our salvation, our redemption through his blood, that is a gift. Paul says faith is a gift. Again, we looked at salvation by faith. It was a gift of God. But also he then gives us gifts out to the bounty of his defeat. And so Paul quotes Psalm 68. He applies it then to the work of Jesus. In Psalm 68, David is referring to God again as the divine warrior who has defeated Pharaoh but also defeated all the kings as he has led his people to his mountain in which he then called them to to actually tithe from the gifts that he gave them from Egypt to then build him a tabernacle and then later build him a temple. And in fact, in Jewish tradition, Psalm 68 was read and, and really celebrated on the day of Pentecost. Isn't that amazing? So on the day of Pentecost, that was a, a festival to celebrate the fact that the law had been given to Israel. And now Paul is saying, Jesus has given us gifts better than the law. He's given us gifts of grace. He's given us the Holy Spirit. And he's given us ways to serve him that then bring him glory and bring him honor. Paul applies Psalm 68 to Jesus because when Jesus ascended to the right hand of his Father, it was the ultimate victory of God. So all the victories in the Old Testament are signs or foreshadowings of the victory that would come through Jesus on the cross. In Ephesians 1, Paul has already mentioned that all things have been placed under the feet of Jesus because he has been exalted to the right hand of the Father. And here Paul is again saying he led captives away. Well, what were the captives? Well, the captives are the principalities. 
the powers that he has defeated and destroyed through the cross. He's destroyed our sin. He's destroyed death. He's taken away our guilt. We went from being guilty to being forgiven. And this has destroyed the devil's domain over us. No longer can he stand and accuse us of our shortcomings. So whatever you have that you're struggling with, know Jesus forgives you. And Satan does no longer have dominion over you. You are free indeed in Jesus to walk. And not only are you free, you've been given gifts to use for the advancement of God's kingdom. So in Psalm 68, it's actually God who receives gifts. But Paul now says Christ gives gifts. Why? Because he is, he is God's son, God incarnate. He has overcome. So Jesus has overcome all the forces that bind us, and he gives gifts from the bounty that he collected. Again, the gifts of the Spirit also they liberate people to serve and to minister to one another under the supernatural power that comes from Jesus. And so if as a church we do not use our giftings, then we'll become anemic. If we just, our consumer mentality, that, if that's what defines us, then, then we'll, it, we'll just literally become lifeless. It's funny, uh, if you do you know, just church surveys or, or cultural surveys, if we were to go out and just ask our community, what do you want from a church? Most of them would probably say, well, I don't want the church to ask of me of anything or to ever, you know, help me, ask me to do something for them, right? We don't want that, right? It, but the Bible, though, not only says, are we commanded to do that? It says we've been gifted to do that, which means we'll be held accountable whether or not we use our gifts. So it's vital there, therefore, that we discern our gifts in order to obey the commands of Scripture. And then just notice again, verse 9, where it says, well, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended? Again, Jesus left the throne of heaven. If you can just imagine what that was like for him. You're in the presence of your Father. You're surrounded with holiness. There's glory all around you. And you leave that and you come to earth and dwell. There was no sin or death or heartache in heaven. And yet he comes down to the earth. And, and not only does he just come down, he literally takes on flesh. He grows in wisdom and stature and knowledge. And then he suffers and dies on the cross. Christ humbled himself. He was born in a manger. He took on the wrath of God, and in it he was buried in a tomb. He descended so that he might redeem us. Paul wants us to understand the great cost that it comes from us receiving these gifts, which is why, again, nothing is ever free. There's always some cost. Well, the, the free gift of salvation and the free gift of our works came at a great cost, the cost of Jesus' life. But unless you're melted by that truth, unless the gospel shapes your heart and melts, melts your heart to the knowledge of what his love is for you, then you're not able to use your gifts properly. And so first you have to believe the gospel and receive the Holy Spirit. Then you have to just serve. You have to try ministries out and see where you flourish. You have to get feedback from others. And then you have to look to Jesus, see his holiness and orient your life around what it means to follow him. And again, we looked at that last, uh, two weeks ago when we looked at verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 4, where it says to walk with, hum with humility, walk with gentleness, walk with 
patience. None of those come naturally to us. All of those are things that we're called to do. And so a spiritual gift then is something that you use to help bring people under the lordship of Jesus. And as you submit to Jesus and he becomes more and more your Lord, it brings healing to your life. It brings healing to those around you. It brings restoration to who you were created to be. So the Bible makes it very clear. We're alienated from God. We're even alienated from, from ourselves. You don't even know your true self without the gospel. But we're also alienated from each other and then from creation itself. The gospel slowly transforms and restores all of these things. Wherever Jesus is reigning, there is partial but real healing that happens, which is why in a church we have to forgive. We have to show grace. We have to show forbearance. We don't just put up with each other. We're called to love each other. And the gifts of Jesus are given to reverse and to restore creation in every area back to what God intended it to be, to where it was good. Finally, the purpose of our gifts. So we see the gifts come at a grace cost. But finally, the purpose of our gifts is for Christ to fill all things. In other words, we're, we're, we're heading somewhere, and our gifts are, are given for a purpose, so that Christ would fill all things. Now, again, this is probably a verse that you've read before, but, but this is really one of the highest thoughts in all of Scripture, that the fact that the one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all things into the heavens, and he is going to fill all things. How does he do that? Through the local church. That how, that, that's how Jesus is filling all things right now. He is the head. We are the body. This is just affirming what Paul has already said in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 to 10. So that scripture should be up there for you. It says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, that he purposed in Christ as a plan at the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. How does Christ fill all things? He does it through his rule, through his reign. By bringing all things together. He does it through his covenantal glory. And how does this all happen? This all happens through the local church. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 1, 22 to 23, he says, and he subscribed, he subjected, sorry, everything under his feet, and he appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of the one who fills all things and in every way. The fullness is that which reveals what is inside the person. So in other words, you don't know what's inside my mind, right? Although I just love the comparison between, if you ask if you just ask me in any given moment, like, what's on your mind? Very little is going to come out. If you ask my wife what's on her mind, a lot's going to come out, right? We're just wired completely different. A lot of times she'll ask me, like, what's on your mind? I'm like, nah, I can't say nothing, right? But I'm like, very little, right? I'm just not going really deep or thinking about a whole lot of different things. Um, and so, but, and, and honestly, like, I'm fine with just not communicating a whole lot and just sitting, right? But even then, my body still communicates things, right? So you might not know what's in my mind until I get up and go to the refrigerator and make myself a sandwich, right? Then you know what's in my mind, right? I'm hungry. A sandwich sounds good, right? Get some ham and some mayo, maybe some bacon and cheese, some lettuce and tomato, right? That'd be a great sandwich, right? Now you're all hungry. You're welcome. Um, that would be revealing what's on my mind, right? Well, Christ reveals who he is as the head of the church and the way that the church 
lives and ministers to one another. And so this means, again, the church is the glory of Christ. The world only knows Jesus through the local church, through how we live. Now, I mean, you can probably relate with this. Again, if, if your children succeed, man, you're just proud, right? If they win, win a tournament, if they uh, win the spelling bee or, or get straight A's, you're just proud, right? Why? Because they embody somewhat of you. But also, the reverse is true as well, right? If they fail, if they go to jail, if they go to prison, if they're arrested, you're embarrassed. Why? Because they represent you. We represent Jesus, who is our head. And the world will only know Jesus through the local church. So because we are the body, the way that we live then reflects what he is like. That's why it's important that we take seriously the way we live, that we know what God wants us to do in our lives through his word. And so Christ fills the church. Wherever the head goes, the body goes, right? So I lose things all the time. I have the little Apple like tags on, on everything because I lose things all the time. Well, you know, the saying goes, if, you lose your, if I could lose my head, I would, right? Except for it's really not true because you can't lose your head because wherever your head goes, your body goes, right? But if I could lose my head, I probably would. But wherever the head goes, the body goes. Jesus is our head. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's been accepted, and our identity is in him. We are his fullness. We have to walk then in that identity. And because Christ fills the church, and because it is built up through members using their gifts, his rule and his reign is extended as we walk in faith and obey his word. And so this was really the hope of the Old Testament. The hope of the Old Testament was that the presence of God would fill the earth. But in the Old Testament, where was it limited? Where was the presence of God limited in the Old Testament? To the temple. But without, without the temple, it was limited to the tabernacle. Before the tabernacle, it was only in the Garden of Eden, which was lost in Genesis 3. So we have the Garden of Eden. Adam told to expand it to fill the earth. He fails. Then Israel has a little box that is called God's footstool. And then they have a temple that really wasn't big compared to all the other temples in their day in which God was literally dwelling. And they're told, look, be light. Have the nations come where I am, where my presence is. They fail, right? But even throughout the Old Testament, we get this, this idea, this hint, that God's glory will fill the earth. So look at Numbers chapter 14, verse 21. It says, yet as I live, as the whole earth is filled with the Lord's glory. Even in Numbers, even in uh, the book of Moses, this idea that God's glory will fill the earth is present. Later on in Habakkuk 2.14, this is a, a verse that I've quoted a lot. It's a, a verse that means a lot to me. It's even on my wall in my office. For Christmas one year, um, I opened a gift, and it was a, a hand painting from Hannah and Joanna just that has this verse on it. So it's a good verse. Uh, but Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the waters cover the sea. Now, I don't know if you've been in the ocean recently, because we're not very close to the ocean. Growing up, I was very close to the ocean. I can tell you, the ocean is wet. You'll need to go there now, because wherever there's water, it's wet, right? Wherever there are seas or oceans, there's water. That's what Paul's getting at, or that's what Habakkuk's getting at. The glory of the Lord will be as sure as the seas are wet. Meaning the glory of the Lord will be over the whole dry lands, over the whole earth, just as surely as waters cover the seas. It will happen. How is it happening now? Through 
the local church. And so Ephesians 10 is certain. Again, the one who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens to fill all things. It's certain. Jesus is filling all things. The question is, are you, are you actively being a part of it? And if you're not, Paul is just commanding. He is just urging us, look, figure out your gifts and use them to build up the kingdom of God, to use them for others. Because if you're not, if you don't do that, then literally you're missing out. You will stand before the Lord and the time that you were given to use your gifts that you didn't, I already know what feelings of heartache and pain that will be, which is why the servant who loses his gifts, his talents, it says, throw him out into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I don't think that that's actually hell in that passage. I think it's a part of heaven, right? Where we will, yes, have our, our tears wiped away eventually, but where we will have sorrow for the ways that we did not serve the Lord in which he has gifted us to serve. So know your gifts, read the scriptures, be active in the life of the body and be a part of Christ filling all things. And again, this happens through the local church. As each member of the local church stewards their gifts that has been entrusted to them. So what's the big idea then this morning? The big idea this morning is that we have diversity in our unity in order for Christ to fill all things. We have diversity in our unity. Why? In order for Christ to fill all things. Don't feel too low or too high about what your giftings are. Once you, once you know what your giftings are, use them. Use them to advance the kingdom of God, to encourage other believers. Some of you have gifts that, honestly, the, the church body needs you to use. You might be out there, you have the gift of encouragement. Do you know how important that gift is today? Do you know how discouraged all believers are right now? We need people who have the gift of encouragement to speak into our lives and to edify us and to build us up into the body. You have the gift of administration or, or something else. Don't, don't look down on it. Know that the church needs it. And be active in body life in order to share it. So as we, again, reflect on the fact that we have unity and diversity, we're reminded again that Jesus invites us to the table to dine with us. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, it says that he earnestly desired to have this meal with us to celebrate the fact that his body was going to be broken and his blood was going to be poured out in order to bring in the new covenant. And so this morning we're going to transition now into a time of celebrating the Lord's Supper. So just ask that you would bow your heads and close your eyes where you're at and just begin to reflect on, again, the fact that Jesus invites you to this table means two things. One, you need to realize that's your identity. But two, if you're not walking in the identity that he's called you, then you need to repent. And so this is that time to do that. To say, Jesus, you know, I haven't, haven't been honoring you the best this week or this month. Lead me to repentance. Thank you that you show grace and that you invite me to the table. So the, the table is always an open and a closed invitation. If you haven't trusted Jesus, if you haven't followed with him in obedience to, uh, to be baptized, to testify of your belief in him, don't take it. In fact, Paul would say it would, it would be a disgrace for you to take it. It would actually bring harm to you. If you are a believer and you've confessed Jesus as Lord, you've followed in obedience and been baptized, then the table's open. It's welcome for you to come and to be a part of. So again, in the Gospel of Luke, it says, when the hour came, he reclined at the table 
and the apostles with him. And then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup. And after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share this among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it and gave to them and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning, God, just wanting to praise you. You are a good and gracious Father. And you don't just cheaply give out gifts, God, as most of us do. You lavish your grace. You give us grace upon grace. You invite us to dine with you at your table, but you also equip us and give us gifts to advance your kingdom and to bring you glory. What great and mighty king is there to compare to you? There is none. And God, maybe this morning we have either just neglected to to understand that we have received these gifts from you. Or maybe we know what our gifts are, but we've just, we've been distracted. We've been tempted to just not use our gifts. Lord, release us from our selfishness. Help us to follow Jesus, who denied himself, who literally descended to die on the cross. Help us to see our identity is in him. He is seated next to you on your throne. We are.